recording. I am recording. All right. All right. No matter what we're going through, no matter what. Three, two, one. You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome, listener, to episode 49 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm always glad that you guys are joining us for these 30 minutes of discussing the grand biblical narrative. But this week, I'm especially excited for you to be here because we have some special significance. Um, This episode is scheduled to go out on October 12th, uh, 2021, and that's a special date for us because that means that we will have been on the air broadcasting this show for one year. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Big deal. Thank you. Yeah, pull out the uh, your little confetti shooter, have a little celebration <laughs> wherever you are, because the success of this podcast is due to you guys. When I know you, you guys make it tired of me always saying to like and subscribe and write a review and give us a star review on iTunes, Spotify, but those are the things that make the biggest difference. When you're telling people about the podcast, just not just, you know, verbally, but also online, whenever you like and subscribe, you are telling other people by way of us getting recommended to more and more people. And that's why we're here one year already having an audience of 2,500 people having been listened to by more than 20,000 individuals. That's a huge reach. And we are very honored to have you guys as our audience. So thank you so much for that. It's, it's been a great year. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. It, it's kind of like in Peter Pan when you clap to bring the fairy back to life when you like and share and review it gives life to the podcast thank you that's it i do believe in podcasts (laughs) i do do. that's right well it's actually kind of funny that we're if you had asked me back in october of 2020 where we would be in the show by now i would have said like ah well maybe like or you know maybe psalms or proverbs and maybe if we're really doing good we're closing out the the uh, Old Testament, yep. and uh, here we are, and we're like 10 pages into the Bible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. I, I just accepted it now. This is our thing. You're going you're gonna to get a deep dive, which um, is why, uh, surprise, surprise, if you listened to last episode, you know exactly where we are this week. We're still talking about that dang old tower. Mm. Yeah, Tower, but but it is interesting that you said deep dive right before you went there, because one of the things that we're going to talk about today is how the Tower of Babel episode is connected to the flood, right? That's right. Uh, Or or at least the aftermath of the flood. Yeah, let's not forget that they were told to be fruitful and multiply and to spread to do that after the flood, and that's in direct opposition like this whole tower experiment oh, is not following the rules in Genesis nine verse seven. And you may, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And it's interesting. And we'll look at it a little bit more in Josephus's account of this. He actually says that God came down and told them again to spread abroad to go, but, they instead, instead, they all gather in one place and 
try to go not across the earth, but toward heaven. It, may, it makes me think about uh, like what Noah would have thought about all this. Like, right. Like I'm sure he gave them instructions. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's really difficult to know if Noah was alive during the tower of Babel. Like if you just take the genealogies straight out of the Bible as that, if your interpretation is the only reason that they're there, or at least one reason for which they are there, is to establish a chronological, infallible timeline from creation to the present day, it has Noah still alive, uh, if you're looking at the Masoretic text. But as we know from other genealogies, and we've talked about before, we think about Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, varying genealogies in the Old Testament, sometimes... Generations are skipped because the purpose of the genealogies seem to be to establish the context of the story rather than the chronological timeline of the story. But regardless of whether or not Noah is alive or not, his legacy surely lives on. And if he were living like granddaddy Noah, I mean, Gandalf, what do you think he's thinking at this point when they're like, hey, we're going to build a tower? He's probably thinking like, Mm, I better start building that boat again. Like he know he knows it's not turning out good. Uh, yes, yes. So one of the directions that we want to go today is this: is that how is a tower a good idea at this point? Like, who does this make sense to? Here, they've got the whole world at their disposal. In other who words, you, you can you can go north, south, east, or west. And instead you say, let's go up instead. Um, I, I mentioned this last episode, but if like if this is a kind of a response of fear of like, oh, we're afraid of the flood, so we better get up higher. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, it's not really well thought out because it does explicitly say that it covered every mountain. So I don't know what Nimrod's thinking. Right. What he's going to do. Well, you just right. said, you know, so it said the floodwaters covered the mountains by 15 meters. So you just, you know, you just go to sea level or what used to be sea level and you add, you know, a couple stories to that. Uh, we're over the levee. We're over the levee. <laughs> Nimrod's thinking checkmate, God. You didn't think of that one, did you? So interesting yeah. that you say that because going back to Josephus is that how he describes Nimrod First of there's a couple of things that Nimrod points out. First of all, he says that as the result of the flood, there was a very young population of earth. Uh, for instance, Josephus talks about, he says, for when they flourished with numerous youth, God admonished them again to send out colonies, but they imagining the prosperity they enjoyed was not derived from the favor of God, but supposing that their own power was the proper cause of their plentiful condition they were in, did not obey him. So what's interesting is Nimrod, when he suggests the tower, in the next section it says, now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man, and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as it was though his means that as if, excuse me, as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his power 
And he also said he would be revenged on God if he should have mind to drown the world again, for he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. So at least according to Josephus, this tower is not just a practical thing. Dude, this tower is a message. This is a message. It is personal. Well, that's interesting because according to Josephus, talking about like language like avenge, he's almost talking about like, man, I'm going to, Nimrod's thinking, I'm going to take this tower and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to well, give God a piece of my mind. It, it actually goes beyond that. You have several uh, Jewish sources, some of them naming Nimrod, some of those just, you know, assuming him, uh, who almost paint this as a siege tower uh, that they're, you know, uh, so you have, for example, um, in other words, it's not that they just wanted a really high elevation on earth. It's that they wanted to break through the barrier, right? The, the, you know, the firmament that we've been talking about all the way since creation. Uh, so the Sibylline oracles say they were all of one language and they wanted to go up to starry heaven. Uh, third Baruch, uh, three, seven and eight said, and they, these builders of the tower had taken an, an auger and sought to pierce the heaven. Interesting. It's called the so. There's the drill. Yeah, that's what I, I, I. It's interesting in some depictions of the Tower of Babel. Like we said, uh, probably historically it looks more like a ziggurat. But it is interesting that some depictions of the Tower of Babel have that spiraled uh, skyscraper. Is that? Do you should say Third Baruch? Uh, yeah, Third Baruch. What What's the date on that? That is debated. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, of, uh, of course, it wouldn't be an easy answer. Uh, just, like. <laughs> just be complicated, Nathan Van Horn. Uh, uh, m- most people put it in the first century AD. Okay. Um, I think that sounds right off the top of my head. So, someone will fact check and prove me wrong, but I think most put it in the first century AD uh, just because uh, some stuff in there, and, and this is pointing way forward in the podcast, but. Uh, draw some comparisons with the destruction of the Jerusalem temple later on. Mm, Um, Well, that imagery of like a drill that pierces the heavens is kind of, I guess, fitting with their understanding of like, you know, the firmament and the the divide between heaven and There's an actual barrier. That's right. Uh, I love this is uh, from uh, a, uh, from Baba Sanhedrin, a, 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 a Jewish source later on that's included in the Targums. And it says, they said, let us build up a tower and climb to the firmament and strike it with hatchets until its waters flow forth. Like they, mm. they're, they're, they're waging war. Uh, another first century, uh, this is contemporary to Jesus and Paul and uh, Philo's questions and answers in Genesis. Uh, he said, he who is zealous for earthly and corruptible things always fights against and makes war on heavenly things. Pay attention to his wording here. Always uh, fights against and makes war on heavenly things and praiseworthy and wonderful natures and builds walls and towers on earth against heaven. What's he going back to? That's Babel. That's Babel. Uh, wow. uh, you know, third, uh, also in third Baruch, uh, it said that these are the sons of the, of, these are the ones who built the tower of the war against God and the Lord removed them. Um, Targum Neophyte, uh, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens and let us make for ourselves at its top an idol and we will put a sword in its hand and it will make war against God. Yeah. So whether or not they thought, 
you know, this is not to get like too weird here, like that this was some kind of cultic attempt to pierce the heavenly places. Uh, not to get too weird, but we do read about cultic attempts to encounter supernatural things. And that's why there's laws against necromancy, for example, for example, later in the Torah. Um, but whether or not this is a cultic attempt to somehow re-enter God's presence, or it's just a symbol of the position of man's heart, well, I guess it could be a symbol either way. It's still sending the message heavenward. Whether it's an actual assault where they're trying to cultically, you know, access heaven, or it's just this message of like, hey, just like every tower, every tower, everything that's tall is trying to send a message. Well, one of the things that's interesting to me, and we talked about some of the uh, parallels between this and the previous chapters of Genesis that we've discussed in last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, you know, the come, let us build a city for ourselves and a tower with its top in the heavens kind of brings to mind the come, let us make man in our image language. Mm. Yeah. The, the one thing I don't think we talked about or one of the things we didn't talk about was the fact that they go on from that to let us make a name for ourselves. Uh, again, what is the what is precisely the authority in creation that God entrusts to man? He lets Adam name, name other creatures. Adam doesn't uh, Adam doesn't get to name himself, but as an extension of the image of God in him, he gets to name other creatures. How interesting in Genesis eleven uh, that they say, name. "Yeah, let us make a name for ourselves." And by the way, the one of the things that really makes me think that's that has something to it is what is part what is part of God's promise to Abraham in the very next chapter yeah. I will make your name great your name great yeah <laughs> uh it's the very opposite of what you see with Babel this is uh it's hard not to read this as war on God it, right so what I'm he- what I'm hearing is is that you know the reason God came down confused him he got angry it, it wasn't about the city or the tower Right. Just like in Eden, it wasn't about the fruit. It This was more of a heart thing. Yeah, there, it's, it's yeah. symbolic action. In other words, there's there's action, but what the action represents is even greater than the action itself. In other words, God's not threatened by anything we could build, uh, but the most dangerous thing is not our machines of war. It's it's a it's kind of like you said, it's a heart issue. It's the it's the thing. It's that will to dominate. It's very Nietzsche. Right. Right. Um mm. So God is confusing languages not to protect heaven, I think, but to protect earth. Because that is, this is what we see happen, is that when humankind come together, and we've talked about this since we were in early Genesis, when we pursue good without God, the fact that they're using this technology, cooked bricks, to make a name for themselves, and they're calling out what they see to be good. Well, you know what? In my world... My world is a world that's never flooded by God. And in my world, even if the God of the heavens does decide to flood it, I have towers which cannot be flooded. It's it's this an attempt to be God. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like you said in last ep- uh, last episode, when we stop basing our pursuit on the word of God and we stop making God 
the lens through which we pursue each other, we start playing God in each other's lives. We forget how we were created to relate to each other, right? Um, and so, you know, w- mentioned Nietzsche. Uh, Nietzsche's got that famous uh, quote. It usually gets taken somewhat out of context, the whole God is dead quote. Um, well, well, Nietzsche was an atheist, so he wasn't saying that God had at one point for him existed and then ceased to exist right. uh, because he didn't believe in God to begin with. For Nietzsche, he was talking about the idea of God, specifically the idea of God as a cultural point of unity um, had been done away with. And for Nietzsche, this was not an entirely good thing uh, because for Nietzsche, I mean, kind of to your point, I'm not saying that you're a, a Nietzsche scholar <laughs> uh, or, or that you're like fully on board with Nietzsche, but no, but for Nietzsche, um, uh, Western culture was undergirded with Christian morals, but for Nietzsche, those cannot be divorced from Judeo-Christian beliefs and to do away with one, the belief in God for Nietzsche would ultimately undermine the other, the way that we relate to each other. And right. so uh, that's Nietzsche, Jordan Peterson's argument too. Uh, he he makes this argument. He's Jordan Peterson is an atheist agnostic, but he is highly critical of uh, a, aggressive atheism that seeks to remove God from society. Because his argument is is if, if you remove God from Western society, Western society collapses. And he's saying that from the position of someone who doesn't believe in God. But well, sees, and, it, and it, he butts up against belief far more than Nietzsche did. Oh, uh, no, no doubt. It's, it, no it's, 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 it's kind of hard to peg him because he, he doesn't give – for him, this is a very complex question, it's, and he doesn't give as clear an answer as, as people would like. Um, but, but the fundamental point remains, right? For Nietzsche, uh, if, if you don't have God as the unifier, then people will devolve into pessimism and will probably – give that God energy to something else, whether it's national identity or power or sex or money. And that's, right. that's kind of the, that's or kind building of building a tower. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Giant tower. Yeah. Building. All this, all this talk of, uh, Pearson and, uh, Nietzsche and all them or Peterson reminds me of the idea of the, uh, the Christian atheist, right? Mm. Like I don't believe in God, but the God I don't believe in is Jehovah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are you so mad at someone who doesn't exist? And um, so clearly, I think we see if if Josephus's account is to be believed, and Nimrod is the one behind the tower and stuff like that, along with all these other targums that are talking about it. Oh, by the way, just for our listeners, Nathan, tell us what a targum is, just to remind us. Uh, targums are. Uh, after the destruction of the temple in particularly, uh, you know, Judaism kind of morphs because it has to. You can no longer offer sacrifices at a temple that's been torn to the ground by the Romans. And so they shift far more to a uh, religion of the book. And so they collect rabbinic teachings and different paraphrases on their scriptural text, different applications. Uh, And so the Targums are essentially a commentary on understanding and applying the Jewish scriptures. Uh, right. by, fam- by famous rabbis. Uh, Nathan, you didn't need to explain that to me because, you know, I, I-, I knew that already. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure you all believe that. So I think there's another reason to look at the Tower of Babel story is that I, I don't want to say that this is Chekhov's gun, but this is this is this is a trope, though. We see this throughout the Bible and not just throughout the Bible, but throughout human history. It's interesting to me. We were, I think we were talking beforehand uh last week and this week in our pre-recording conversation 
about military history, about that the history of the world is essentially military history, that if you go back far enough in history, the only thing that's ever remembered remembered are conquests, that it's just wars, archaeological, uh, or excuse me, uh, architectural feats that they, people have built. Like all of that's all that gets remembered after a thousand years is the battles that were fought and the buildings that were built. And I think that there's there there's a type here that this is a reoccurring problem in human society, human society. Babel. Babel never changes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the interesting thing is that this um, the build up mentality eventually does build out, but it builds out in a way very different than what God intended, right? Because king, kingdoms become empires. And it's not just, hey, let's build up our ideas and let's build up our peoples, but then let's, the whole will to power thing, let's dominate other cultures with our way of being and living. Mm. Does that make so, sense? And so, yeah. I mean, like empire after empire functions that way. So as you just talked about with Nietzsche, rather than evolution in a positive way, it comes, it's devolution. It's becoming more destructive. And it's, it reminds me of Daniel and his visions of the empires of his day and the ones that preceded him and the ones that come after him. But, you know, he and Western history and Eastern history remembers these, the great Greek empire, the great Persian empire, the great Babylonian empire. And yet when... Daniel, in fact, he has Nebuchadnezzar's vision. This is interesting, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar's vision is of a statue of gold, silver, you know, bronze, and then clay and iron mixed with clay. And that Nebuchadnezzar's view of the empires are metals and something beautiful. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel's dream of the same empire is not of this beautiful statue but horrible, disgusting, monstrous beasts. It's kind of like the statue is what Nebuchadnezzar saw his world to be. And that's probably why in the next chapter he builds a, a yeah, gold statue to himself. Ne I was, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar really misses the point. Uh, right. You know, uh, <laughs> empire symbolized one on top of the another as this giant man-made statue. And then you have this uh, rock not with human hands, right? This, right. this heaven, this heavenly rock that, uh, crushes the statue at its very foundation. And Nebuchadnezzar's takeaway is cool. I think I'll set up a big statue of myself <laughs> for people to worship in the very next chapter. Um, so interesting. You say that uh, the rock without human hands there in Daniel chapter two, it makes me think here of Babel. They're making, these are hewn stones. These are cooked bricks. And that, that's right. So this this stone that crushes this statue that is set in Daniel that is dazzling in appearance that we step back and go, oh, wow, look at the magnificence of man. Um, and it actually, for me, raises a translational issue. You know, when we read Genesis 10 and we're reading from the ESV, when we came across Nimrod and in uh, chapter 10, verses eight uh, following the one that culminates in Babel, right? Um, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man, whatever that means. That's not really expounded upon. Um, and I'll come back to that. Verse nine, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Okay, so that's, if you read it just there in 10 through 8 in the ESV, that's a very neutral translation, right? Mighty man, mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, his name gets turned into a setting. But if you look at what the Jewish sources and even the early Christian sources do with this, they do not paint this neutrally. Uh, rather than making uh, Nimrod a mighty man, they make him a tyrant. And when they translate the other part, they don't say mighty hunter before the Lord because the Hebrew is, is ambiguous. It's a uh, prepositional letter, just a lameth that's attached to a word. They don't make it a mighty hunter before the Lord. They make it a mighty hunter against the Lord. Uh, and so he he becomes this character that embodies this, like like we said, that, that language of empire, this disposition of of essentially building heaven on earth to wage war against heaven. So here's here's a question. Uh, Gandalf, Chekhov's gun, have we read about mighty men before? That sounds a little bit like the Nephilim from Genesis 6 to me. Is ding, that, ding, ding. For? Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, it's the exact same word. In oh, fact, in, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4. The from the Nephilim Hebrew Gabor, the, yeah. Mm -hmm, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, interesting, after those days, all right, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, there it is, men of renown, men of, the, oh, men of the name. Ding, ding. Oh, how, dang. Did, how did I oh, miss that earlier? Oh my goodness. How it's all I, connected. Uh, how, how did I miss that earlier? How did men I miss of the that earlier? Name. These are mighty men making a name for themselves. Oh my goodness. It's all connected. That's that's not uh, uh, that's not pre-scripted. That's real-time shock value. Yeah. This is um, what normally takes place in the pre-recorded conversation. Yeah, never accuse us of scripting the episode because <laughs> now right. we're just we're, we're discovering men but, of the name. But there is a plan. <laughs> One year in, there is a plan. It's it's more um, of like guidelines, right? Yeah, that's like right. the pirate code. Oh, that's good good um, reference. Uh no, but you know, uh, I, I like your point. So you know, you you have this recurring dynamic. It's the same thing in different forms. I do love your point from Daniel that you know empires depict themselves as precious metals. They get de depicted by beast. Uh, but I, I also want to capture this in the context of what we've been saying about Genesis one through eleven. Uh, Genesis one through eleven. Uh, I keep saying as a prologue, I keep calling it the slingshot for the story of Scripture. Uh, there's a whole lot here. Uh, fast forward far beyond Daniel to a book that uses a lot of Daniel, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Um, what language does Revelation go to when it's, uh, and again, Revelation in the early Christian centuries and pretty much straight out of the gate that the interpretation of Revelation has been debated. So I'm not going to unpack all that in the remaining moments of this episode. Um, but in terms of the explicit language of Revelation, what empire does Revelation use? It's Babel. It's Babel. It's Babylon, which is in Hebrew Babylon, is the same. Yeah. But it, both geographically and lexically, Babel and Babylon are the same in the Old Testament. Um, that's so interesting to me. Uh, there, there is a dynamic here that you keep seeing, to Matt's point, you see it over and over again with every successive empire. I'm tumbling down the rabbit hole, and there is a connection 
linguistically with Genesis 6 here, because it's the exact same Hebrew word name, men of renown, and make a name for ourselves. So the problem before the flood was mighty men who made a name for themselves. And then what do the people say? The people say right after the, oh my gosh, they're rebuilding what God just tore down. They are trying Mm. to rebuild the work that brought the flood. And no wonder God says, we got to stop it right here. God must feel like, man, can I keep this place clean for just five minutes before they they go off again and try and rebuild what I just tore down? Well, and and there's and there's the story of scripture, right? They they think they're gonna they think they're gonna hinder future disaster by building something up to God, and God will finally put an end to the mess by coming down to them. Uh, not not oh. just not, not just coming down. Uh, yeah, how interesting! Like man's response to God's sovereign and just actions in the flood. I mean, we talked about that. We 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 gave God every benefit of the doubt and showed he's far more gracious than he's often uh, perceived and depicted to be. Um, but even after all that, man goes right back to the same activity that brought the flood and say, let's build up. What? How will scripture story come to its climax? God coming down to them, not, not man playing God, but God becoming a man. And, and what happens to him? He's killed by capital punishment from the Roman Empire on a cross. Mm. Mm. Um, That's good. He, he allows himself. Uh, oh, man, there's your connection. They wanted to pierce the heavens. What ha- what happens to Jesus after he's crucified? His side is pierced. Mm. Um, so yeah. interesting. Mm. It's like poetry. It rhymes. There it is. Thank you. You've been waiting for that <laughs> all year. I have been. I've been waiting well, for our listener. Doesn't know that's a uh, that's a George Lucas quote that Nathan yes. hates because it's it's so apt. <laughs> oh man, I, I've been resisting dropping Lord of the Rings references. Well, we, well, you were talking about a uh, Nimrod and his desire to like to dominate and everything, and I was just thinking, oh, so you're saying into this tower he pour, he poured his cruelty, his malice, and his will to dominate all life, one tower <laughs> to rule them all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I know we're out of time, but man, I'm just going to be thinking about Genesis 6 and Genesis 11 for a week now. Well, I love doing this podcast with you guys, and I love it that, listener, you get to come into these conversations, because as as we've seen in today's episode, uh, things can happen on the fly. We're always learning new things, so it's not just a journey of learning that you guys are taking, it's also us. We're learning new things every day, and it's, it's been a great journey to do that with you guys. So, again... Don't be like these people building a tower and become scattered. Like and subscribe to this podcast. And I promise you, it's been a great year, and there's another great one on its way. We'll be back every Tuesday morning. You guys have a great week. See you next time. Shalom. Media.